You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killy. Good morning. My name is Zach. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. And uh, today we're going to continue talking through uh, the words of Jesus. We're going to be talking about uh, the things that he himself said, right? Um, which they just seem to like carry a little more weight just because they're from his mouth, right? And he paints in these big, broad strokes. It's just interesting to hear the way Jesus himself phrases it rather than, say, Paul or somebody talking about it. It's, there, there's something to that. I don't know. Um, but what I do know is we need, to, we need to hear what Jesus says and apply it in our lives to the best of our ability. And I want to start all this by asking for a show of hands. Uh, I know, participation, I'm sorry. But uh, if you could raise your hand if you have ever been hurt by someone. <laughs> really? Um, you, no, no, you can keep them up for the next one, I promise. <laughs> have you ever hurt someone? Everybody look around, look around, keep them up, keep them up. Everybody look around. Okay, the reason I like doing stuff like this is because now we're all on an even playing field. Now we all need to hear what's being said today, right? Because we've all been that person on both sides of the aisle. Fair? Right on. Um, today we're going to be talking about what Jesus has to say about this. Because big shocker, uh, hurting people has kind of been a thing since people. And Jesus has something to say about that. And so I want to read what he has to say about it because he has a, what I like to call a one size fits most approach to this situation. And I'll get into that a little more as to what I mean by that. But I want to read what he says. It's Matthew 18, 15 through 17. That's where we're going to start if you want to follow along. This is what Jesus has to say. If another believer sins against you, stop right there. Some of you may have NIV Bibles. If you read the NIV version of this, that is not what it says. It says, if another believer sins, go and confront them. I'm not knocking on the NIV, but I have picked this translation very purposefully because the original Greek specifically states, if another believer sins against you. And if we're going to be talking about the words of Jesus, we want to make sure we get it right. Jesus is specifically talking about a situation in which one believer has wronged another believer. That's what this situation is talking about. Fair game? So he says, I've lost my place. He says, uh, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. 
Then, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, here's the deal. I want to go ahead and break all that down, but I'm a very visual learner, and so I kind of voluntold a few people to come up and help me uh, before the service started. If you could come up and thank you so much. Uh, I want to show you what this looks like with a visual representation, the sort of do's and don'ts of how we go about this situation, right? Marat, if you want to stand right here, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Lori, if you want to be back here. Chris, if you want to be back here. And if you guys want to mirror them on this side of the stage, just do the exact same thing. Okay, here's the idea. Yeah, that's great. Uh, actually, if you want to scoot kind of back that way, I just don't want to run into the guitar. That would be bad, right, Jason? Yeah, bad. Um, so, Marat, you have just sinned against me, okay? You, I, I know, it had to be you. I'm sorry. So, uh, you want to hang on to that? So, this is our beef. This is the problem we've got between each other, right? Okay, here is what not to do when Marat does something wrong to me. Watch. Hey, Brant. Did you hear what Marat just said to me? He said, I have stupid hair. Can you believe that? I think that he's just jealous because of my luscious volume. You know what? I bet if you think real hard, he's probably said something mean to you too, because yeah. that's just the he kind of guy he is. Uh, he Hold on a second. Mark, did you hear what Marat just said to me? What did he say? Well, first of all, I realized that he'd been saying bad things about me, but then me and Brant got together and I realized that he's been mean to Brant this whole time too. I can't stand that guy. Wait a minute, Lori, Lori, quick question. Have you heard about Marat lately? I he's have. talking bad about everybody. I know. First, he started making fun of my luscious hair, but then he started saying Brant's bad at golf, and then he started being mean to Mark. I can't stand this guy. I don't know what's up with him, but he just keeps doing this. And Chris, Chris, you, you don't have hair, but I have hair. <laughs> but I bet Marat said something bad about you because that's what he does. And then what happens is then I've been sowing these seeds of discord. So then maybe Chris goes over here and he talks to Marat. And then maybe Mark goes over here and he has, to, I can't unwind it fast enough. He goes over here and he says something bad about Marat. And then maybe Lori says something bad about Marat, right? And then we've just got this giant train wreck of problems. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm sorry. <laughs> so here's my problem. Do you see what just happened? Okay. I went to everyone else, and now what happened? We're all tied up. We're all bound, right? We are all in a real predicament here because this was never supposed to go beyond just a beef between me and Marat. You guys did great. You're, you're good to go. You can all jump down, I promise. Um, yeah, just drop them the best you can. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> Here's the deal. The way I should have handled that would have taken two seconds if things go well, right? Because what Jesus is trying to show us is when you've got a problem with somebody, you don't go to anybody else first. And the thing is, we're humans, so we're bad at this. And it's hard because it means confronting someone face-to-face -face and having a real conversation about a real problem. And that's touchy and it hurts, especially when we live in a culture that tells us that we got to be nice over everything else so we just avoid conflict. But that's not what Jesus is telling us to do. Jesus is saying, no, Zach, what you should have done is you should have walked up to Marat and looked at him right in the face and said, hey, man, 
you said something that hurt my feelings. Why'd you do that? And more than likely, Marat's going to say, hey, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And we're good. It's done. It's resolved. We can walk away. Or Marat goes, well, I think you're being dumb. I didn't say anything bad, so calm down. So then I go and I get one or two people and I bring them back and I talk to Marat and then they can hear the exchange between us. And if Marat's still not willing to hear it, then we go before the entire church because it's getting out of hand. I know, right? We'll get there. We'll get there. I promise. We go before like a church council, whatever, or a pastor, whatever. Point is, you're bringing in authority at this point, right? And if he still doesn't hear you, it says, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. But if at any point in that time they repent, you're good, right? So here's the thing. Our process is this. They sin against you. You, not they sinned, right? This situation is is a little more specific than that. They sin against you, right? The offended party goes to the offender. You go alone, And if that doesn't work, you go and you get one to two people. Then you go back. If that doesn't work, you go and you get church authority. Then you go back. If that doesn't work, you treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Let's break those down and look at why that's the process. First of all, they sinned against you. Okay? This is a private dispute between two people. And so you start by the person being offended, going to the offender and having this conversation. What I want to make very clear here is is this passage has been abused by church leaders and by people that misread this passage to handle a lot of situations this passage was not meant to handle. Okay? What I also want to say is, like I said in the beginning, but this is a one-size-fits-most sort of situation. More than likely... This thing is a good way to start out solving any dispute, right? It just makes sense. Go to the source, lay it out, fix it. If that doesn't fix it, go and get somebody else. Come back, try to fix it. Like, work our way up slowly. A lot of the time that makes sense. Let me tell you when this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense if, say, somebody in the church stole money from the church, Because that isn't a problem between two people. That's a problem between this person and the entire congregation of people. Now, like I said, the best way to start that solution may be for the one person, one or two people that know about this, to go to that person in private and say, how are we going to fix this? You've done something wrong. We got to fix it now. That's probably a good place to start. But what is an equally okay place to start at that point in time when it is a church-wide offense is to go to your elder board, to go to your council like we have here at New Hope and say, hey, look, we got a problem. Somebody just stole money from the church, right? Like that would be a perfectly acceptable way to handle that. So you kind of have to use some judgment here, right? Use some discernment here. Another way uh, that this wouldn't be good is say... um, Let's talk about a situation where it is a one-on-one offense, where we shouldn't use this. Let's say somebody is abusing someone else, that there's a spouse in an abusive relationship. It is not a good idea to say, hey, go to them one-on-one and call them out and tell them what they did's wrong. 
we are putting that person in danger by telling them to go do that. So at which point, we should probably send somebody of accountability with them to go make sure everybody's safe. Make sense? So it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's a one-size-fits-most. But what Jesus is particularly uh, prescribing here is a one-on-one, non-abusive offense between two parties. Make sense? Okay. Um, The second thing that I want to point out. The offended party goes to the offender. We live in a world where when somebody does something wrong to us, we are not going to go fix it a lot of the time. We're going to go, I'm not going to talk to them. Did you hear what they said to me? I can't stand that guy. I'm not going to have anything to do with him until he comes to me and apologizes, until he owns this thing. It's not on me to go to him. And Jesus says, no, you didn't do anything wrong, but it is up to you to go make this right. If they come to you first, great. But if they don't, Jesus wants us to make the situation right. And like I said, that can be really uncomfortable. That can be a hard thing to do. But that's how we fix the relationship. That's how we mend the relationship. He's asking us to put in the hard work, even if we didn't do anything wrong in the first place. Let's go on to the go alone, bring one or two, and then bring before the church. What's that all about? Well, like I said to begin with, Jesus is specifically saying this is a one-on-one offense. Somebody wronged you. So he's saying it doesn't have to get bigger than that. Let's keep this problem as small as we possibly can. If one of you can go to the other and resolve this one-on-one, great. It's fixed. Nobody else had to get drug into it. Nobody had to gossip. Nobody had to sow dissension among each other. Like, we fixed it. It's good. Great. But if they don't hear you, well, now you need to go get one or two people and bring them back, right? You need witnesses. You need to have people hear this out. And if they don't hear it, then you need to go before the church. Well, why the church? Because if a person has committed a sin, and then they've been called out on it by a brother or sister in Christ, and they refuse. I mean, they're admitting, yeah, I didn't. I don't care. I'm not. I'm not going to apologize for this. Well, now I go get two more people. Now they see it happen. You're still not repenting. Now what you have is an unrepentant believer. You've got somebody saying, "Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I do not care to act like one." And at that point, this is a church-wide issue. Because we're supposed to be of what? One heart and one mind, right? We're supposed to be together in this thing. We're supposed to be working together to better the world. And if there are multiple people in the body just going, I don't repent for my sins. I didn't do anything wrong. At that point, it says hand them over and just consider them a tax collector or a pagan. Here's where it gets real choppy. I said this verse has been misused in the past. Here's another place where that's happened. It's really easy to read. And if they don't hear you after all that, well, then just treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. At which point, it's kind of easy to go, yeah, have zero to do with that person. They're the worst. You shouldn't have anything to do with them. Can't stand those guys. They're they're the bad guys here, right? How did Jesus deal with pagans and tax collectors? He sat down 
and he had conversations with them. He spent time with them. He loved them. He tried to show them their sin to bring them to a place of repentance and reliance upon the one true God, not upon themselves, right? We're to do the same. We're not supposed to look down on people if they've fallen away from Christ. Or maybe at that point, maybe we should consider if this person doesn't even know how to repent, maybe they were never a Christian to begin with. They don't even get the basics of this thing, right? At which point, what should we be doing? We should be praying for them. We should be loving them. We should be trying to tell them the truth of God, tell them the truth of how what confession is and that Christ died for your sins. He, he gave his life. You know, you should turn this over to God, right? We, we should treat them as we would a person we're trying to bring to God in the first place. Make sense? I want to move on to Matthew 18, 18 through 20. It says this, I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Let me tell you, I butchered this passage growing up. I'm like, hey man, two or three are gathered. God's going to make it happen. Doesn't really matter what, right? We, we've, we've got this real um, temptation to read this passage and turn this into an authoritative passage on, I mean, church leaders have done this throughout history. You see, this is how cults are formed, by twisting passages like this and saying, hey, well, you know what? We're the people of Christ and the three of us just decided that your sins can't be forgiven. So Jesus is with us in this. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what it says at all. This is one of those passages people isolate. But what's really happening here? This passage directly follows the last passage we just read. They are connected. Jesus is saying, when you deal with this situation, I want you to deal with it in this way. And then, whatever decisions you land on here, I'm with you in the midst of those. But what kind of decisions are we to make? That, uh, that part about the things that you allow and the things that you don't allow, the things that you accept or the things that you forbid, right? What are the words? Permit or forbid. The Greek is bind or loose. Forbid is to bind. Loose is to allow, is to permit. Here's the visual in my head with this. What happened up here when I went around and I started talking to everybody else except for Marat about the beef we had, about the problem we had between us? What happened to everybody? We all got tied up. We all got bound, right? I tied down a bunch of innocent people by not doing it the right way. So what happened? The good guys suffer. The innocent suffer. What about loosing? What, what is that? Well, that means setting free. What happens when you just go to that one person and just lay it out and then you both are good? You walk away good? You both walk away set free. You don't have this thing looming over you. You don't have all these chains that you've tied yourself up with. 
Now I'm stretching this a little bit because I think what Jesus is trying to say here is he's saying what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is another passage that gets torn way out of context. That can sound a lot like if I decide it, then it will be that way in heaven. That is not how this works. We don't get to change the will of God. We don't get to dictate the will of God. We should read this part of the passage the same way Jesus tells the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, Our Father who is in heaven, your name is holy. He says, Your kingdom, let it come. Let your will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. Wait a minute. That sounds familiar. Except for Jesus is saying, it's not my will. This is God. This is Jesus. God in the flesh. He's saying, it's not my will. He humbled himself to the Father. He said, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's happening in this passage, the second part of this, as confusing as it can be to read, is quite simply this. Our hearts, our wants, our desires should line up with the desires and the wants and the will of our Father in heaven, and then we should enact that on earth. And when we do that, when two to three of us stand in that, right? He's really saying like when the church body is together, when you are in agreement on the will of the Father, when you're praying the things that God wants you to pray, when you're asking for the things God wants you to ask for, Jesus says, I'll honor that. I'm there with you in the midst of that. And how does this all tie together? Because we should be very aware of what God's will is when we are dealing with issues amongst our brothers and sisters in the church. Fair? This all boils down to accountability. The the question is, if we're to want the heart of the Father, if we're to want the will of our Father, what is that? What is that in this situation in particular where somebody hurt my feelings? Somebody did something wrong to me. What does God want in that situation? Does he want you to go stir up trouble? Does he go want you to gossip? Does he want you to drag other people, innocent people that have nothing to do with it into the problem? No. He wants repentance and restoration. He wants you to go to that person and make things right between the two of you. It's that simple. That's it. Go and make things right. And if they don't hear you, keep working at it, keep working at it, keep working at it. And if it gets to a point where they still just will not repent of sin, then you need to ask, hey, maybe this person doesn't know Jesus in the first place. And if that's the case, I should introduce them to him. I should be praying for them. I should be loving them. I should be trying to win them to Christ. That's what this passage is all about. And to know that Jesus is with us in the midst of that. So here's the deal. Uh, we're going to talk about communion in a minute. But I want to I talk about why we talk about communion. We take communion because Jesus, this whole situation we just read from the words of Jesus, Jesus saying this to us, he put his money where his mouth was in this situation. God made his children. He made Adam and Eve, right? And we're the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Well, Adam and Eve 
They walked away from God. We call that sin. That broke the relationship between God and man because man wanted to go his own way. And if you're thinking for a second, oh, well, why should that apply to me? That happened thousands of years ago. It's because you do it every day of your life and I do it every day of my life because we're sinners. We try to go our own way. And that breaks our bond with God in some capacity, right? Before we knew him, that broke our ties with God. And so God saw that problem and God stepped into time and space as a man named Jesus Christ and he walked on this earth and he came to his people and he confronted them with the great offense they had committed against him. They had turned away from their creator. They had turned away from their father. We had turned away from God. And Jesus pointed that out. He showed us our sin. He showed us that we were guilty. And then he went and he died the death that you and me deserve And he raised from the dead three days later. And then he looks at us and he gives us the sweetest deal you've ever heard. If you just repent, just just look at the situation, recognize it for what it is, see it, agree with him. Say, you're right, I did do all those things. And I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead for me. And I believe in believing those things that I can have everlasting life with you, with the Father. That's a pretty sweet gig. He confronts us, and we have an option. Am I going to repent, or am I going to throw up my hands and say, I didn't do anything wrong? You see? Jesus doesn't tell us to do things he's not willing to do himself. And so we're confronted with that question today. What are you going to do about that? And so I'd like to take a moment and just pray and reflect on a few questions if you'd bow your heads with me and pray. I want you to think about what God is putting on your heart right now. What, what have you heard in this message? What have you heard in this, in this word of God? What, what are you feeling weighing heavy on you right now because guys we've all got this we all raised our hands at the beginning of this we deal with this we struggle with this maybe if not right now it's coming at some point right what needs to change secondly how is it going to change what what's going to change in your life Who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to apologize to? How am I going to go about this? And finally, who's going to hold you accountable? Accountability is a big piece of this whole puzzle. Like, who's going to be beside us? Um bringing us back into the fold when we have sinned? Who's going to be there beside us going to the person that has hurt us when we need that? Who's going to hold you accountable to do what you need to do to be aligned with God's will, aligned with God's heart? Father, please just, through the the moving of your Holy Spirit, please prompt us to action. Please reveal our sins within us. Please reveal um, what action we need to take when we have been wronged, when people have sinned against us. 
Lord, let us get in your word. Let us pray. Let us know your heart through what you've already told us in the Bible so that we can know that we're always doing our best to, to handle things in alignment with your will. And we thank you for Jesus dying on the cross, saving us of our sins and offering us such an amazing gift of everlasting life uh, for a price that he paid, not even, not even that we have to pay. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.